Ellie. Hey, Rachika. Ready for the production meeting? Yeah. Do you smell that? Is David cooking his dinner? Yeah, it's part of this family meal thing he wants to try out. He has some rhyming thing about it. Like the crew that snacks together. Uh, What was it? It's the crew that chews together can't lose together. Yeah, that that was it. What's up, buddies? I made chili. Bowls and spoons are in the uh, in the kitchen. Veggie chili? You know it. Yeet. Come to me, chili. Bring me a bowl, please. I got you. Did someone say chili? Hey, well. Oh, it's all coming together. Just like your writing process after you go through the Audio Fiction 101 course. Oh, big agree. Gabrielle, Zach, and Sarah really know what they're talking about. Hello. That was fast, Rashika. Where's our chili? Oh, cool. There is chili? Yes, you left to get some, like, ten seconds ago? I do not recall this. Well, there's chili in the kitchen. Bud, you you feeling okay? My feelings are nominal. Cool. Cool and good. Cool. Yes. Uh, hey, Ellie, quick, uh, quick change of subject. Have you noticed things being a little weird around here lately? Weird how? I mean, we're always weird. You're supremely weird. No, I, I, I mean, like... You own a puppet. Which is very normal. No, I mean the other stuff. What stuff? The goat, for one. Like Fred's goats? No, the space goat. Hmm, sounds fake, but... Could also be good foreshadowing. Maybe someone's just made their outline very happy. You know, a good place to find that someone might be on Unit 3 of Audio Fiction 101. Lesson, outlines are your friend. Or, lesson, outlines are your frenemies. Ha ha, what a laugh and a half. A space goat. How strange. Will, don't be rude. Incorrect. Rashika is my name. Hey, y'all. Sorry it took so long. Uh, Ellie, did you want chilies on your chili? Because I didn't add any, but I can go back. Hello, Rashika. Ah! Ah! I mean, I don't mean to say I told you so, but... Oh, so this is happening. Um, hey, everyone. Surprise? Hmm. This is just like the second unit of Audio Fiction 101, where you learn about plot structure and raising the stakes! Wow. Uh, definitely meant to do this a different way. Oh. Oh. Are they displeased? Sorry! Hey, Ellie. Do you think there's anything weird going on? You know? I can see how this might be... weird. My cereal bowl grew legs and ran away this morning. I I didn't even have it microchipped, so... Truth is stranger than fiction? Stranger than audio fiction? Ugh, play the jingle. Hone your craft. Hone your style. Make them laugh. With Audio Fiction 101, you can learn all the tips and tricks from Zach and Sarah. And learn to master five act plot structure as well. With Gabrielle, it's a smorgasbord of learning. Grab a napkin and your yearning. Set the table if you're able and have fun. With 101, bring the wow. It's all there. Ask us how with Audio Fiction 101. Yeah. Audio Fiction 101, now offering need-based scholarships. Find out more at learn.fearofpublicshame.com. This week, I'm joined by two stellar stalwarts of science fiction, Beth Crane and Headley Knights of We Fix Space Junk. It's a lovely conversation about debt, despair, puppets, and Tinder. You're welcome. All of that's coming up right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey friends, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. 
I had the delight to chat with Beth Crane and Headley Knights as they recorded from their modified couch studio, which is one of the coolest phrases I think I've ever gotten to say. Imagine the comfort! Each one of them is an astoundingly talented artist. Beth makes puppets and art and scripts and novels. Headley composes music and does sound design. I'm guessing that between the two of them, they could probably build a car from scratch. In this interview, we'll discuss the events of the show, so proceed at your own risk. Try to be caught up if you can, although plot spoilers are not really the worst thing in the world, to be honest. We discuss the allusions and origins of the show, student debt in the United Kingdom, and the true meaning of Bruce-mas. Enjoy. Beth and Headley, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Hello. Oh, hey, thanks for it is, It's such a privilege. Hello. Yes, thank you for coming on. Yeah, it's really exciting to be here. Beth, you said in your press kit that the origins for We Fix Space Junk lay in a long spate of insomnia, where you would look up classic sci-fi audiobooks on LibriVox. Can you tell me about Harry Harrison's The Repairman and the effect that it and other works had on We Fix Space Junk? So Harry Harrison's The Repairman is one of the big ones for that. It's uh, it's quite a basic story. It's just a guy who's a repairman gets told he's got to go to this uh, place and fix a thing. And he just, he gets sent all around the world, um, oh, sorry, all around the universe doing that. Um, there's a beacon that needs repairing because it's um, been kind of slightly destroyed by the locals. Uh, they've built a pyramid around it because they evolved after the beacon was initially put in. Um, yeah, and okay. then there's kind of a lot of stuff about the different fail-safes built into the beacon to make it last for several millennia, which is quite neat about... Like, there's a there's a water pipe that's um, six feet thick for a very small amount of water because they're aware that there's going to be erosion. Um, hmm. Yeah, and it's also... So the repairman is basically in hock to a company he's got a contract he can't get out of which is very much it came into space junk um it's, it's not a comedy it's, yeah no it's it's not a comedy it's kind of but it's it's i really liked the the ingenuity of the character and the idea of having having to travel around repairing things <laughs> so it's a uh, yeah it's quite space junk ad- adjacent it could very much take place in the same world what what were, what were the things that you wanted to keep from the sci-fi works of like the previous mid-century and what what did you want to discard what's some portable craft that like stuck with you or ideas yeah i think the number one for discarding was the racism <laughs> sure <laughs> uh that is inherent in a lot of sci-fi and a lot of writers um i know is it robert a heinlein uh, there's a guy who uh, the guy who wrote the book the Starship Troopers was based on was uh, that timeline yeah incredibly racist yeah, yeah. isn't and isn't it was, all like um, a metaphor for his hatred of the Chinese isn't it like uh, aren't the bugs yeah like his hatred of of communists and he thought they were all like unthinking masses yeah and I think the the film is kind of a satire on the book itself mm-hmm. um, which is kind of an interesting. Oh, the Verhoeven book? The, uh, I mean, the Paul Verhoeven movie? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, Kilner as a character has existed for over 10 years. You told Jessica Stone in an episode of Dear Reader that last year. Can you tell me about the teenage Beth that invented her? Like, why do you think that you were so attracted to this character? Was she always a cyborg? Was she always indebted uh, to a, a company like Automnicon in this way? Oh, gosh. Uh, Automnicon turned up later, I think... I was kind of very into uh, Star Trek and very into... Farscape? Farscape. Yeah, yeah. I used to watch a lot of Farscape. And puppets, uh, too. Yes. Yeah. Lots of really good puppets. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of... I was, like, interested in the idea of having kind of robot parts and the changes you would potentially make to your body. Um, the... The exploration as a lone person, because I was having a tough time in school. Also, the insomnia thing, which doesn't really help with that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, also, what I wrote at the time is very bad. <laughs> it's 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 a horrible piece of sort of Mary Sueish prose that's quite like self-inserty and a bit like overdramatic and emo in the way that. 
uh, teenage fiction often is. Oh, I I have no idea what that's like. I can't identify in the slightest. I definitely. Oh, I'm didn't. sure no one, no mm. one listening, no. will have any clue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she she developed a bit. She kind of popped up while I was doing my degree in a few kind of. There were things that I didn't submit for my degree because I was like, well, I need to write something serious and and life changing, and it's got to be worthy and stuff. Uh, this silly sci-fi project I've got, I can't, I can't put that in for marking or anything. Um, which considering the stuff that I did put in, I really should have done because Space Junk is much better than any of the stuff I wrote for that. Um, but yeah, it's sort of weaved in and out of existence. Um, I have a treatment I wrote in, I guess probably about 2012, um, that was just when I was practicing writing treatments for things. Um, and I think Samantha at that point turned up as just a foil for like the first two episodes. Um, but then when I came back to it later on, uh, she was, I, I found her way more interesting and developed her far more as a character, uh, which led to kind of their, uh, I guess on, on screen, on, on ear chemistry. Mm -hmm. And like the way that they relate to each other and kind of the way that they've changed each other uh, and the way that they changed the story. They developed quite uh, organically, I think. So Samantha as a recurring character developed as a result of the rewrite process as opposed to Marilyn becoming a recurring character, which came as a result of Francesca Mintoftish reading for her. Is that, do I have the, that approximately yes, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so Samantha was... Just, yeah, drop-in character before I actually started writing the series. Uh, and then when I started writing the series, I kind of realized that I wanted it. I also wanted it to be two women um, mm -hmm. rather than a woman balanced out by a man or two men. Just because, I mean, I'm writing from a female point of view. And there is, I mean, there's a lot more female sci-fi than you'd think if you go and look for it, like female-led. But you do have to look for it and make a conscious decision to look for it rather than just stumble across it like you can with most male-led sci-fi. Yeah, I um, I realized yeah. as I was writing up these questions, like how how few works of science fiction I could think of that had two female leads that are friends and not mm. not like a romantic partnership. Uh, and then I felt yeah. like sad for a moment that there weren't like a, a lot of shows like that, but then grateful that Space Junk exists just to show the, <laughs> I don't know, vast array of human arrangements that exist that are that are not usually portrayed in media yeah i think media gets too obsessed with things like romance or rivalry and they kind of don't embrace friendship so much mm -hmm. like there's also i um, mean there's certainly a place a, for, yeah. for both I, I don't think either of us oh, are saying yeah, yeah, yeah. that's bad yeah but it's, it's also things like you don't often get a healthy male friendship right um portrayed and it's that's kind of becoming more of a common thing, but just having like two men having a really nice friendship is something that hasn't been super done. <laughs> you know, you see that it's, it's becoming more and more seeing male friendships that are yeah. nicer. And I think, yeah, having main characters be able to have friends as well is is uncommon because mm. even though there are friends, they're two bit parts who are mates have a bromance or something. But yeah, you don't get main characters actually having friends. Yeah, because I think I think in the in the original it was like she picks her up, she drops her off, she may die, I don't know, and it wasn't a it was a very like perfunctory. Um, you're here and you're annoying, and then I give you back to your annoying boyfriend. Goodbye forever. <laughs> uh, sure. Which is kind of yeah, uh, and it's also lonely. It's it would be quite lonely just to have the one character, and I mean there's a lot of shows that do this very well, but because I'm big on dialogue and kind of human relationships um i kind of need people to bounce off of other people <laughs> no for sure um yeah in the same way as marilyn was originally going to be a a one person thing and mm. the computer existed and then so she could have conversation yeah and then obviously harrelton existed so that they could escape 
So this is going to expose my deep ignorance of British society, but I didn't realize that student loans were such a big deal in the UK. Like you said in an interview you did last February that Automaton is based on your fear of student loans, and I have to admit I thought all schooling was free in the United Kingdom. Uh, so where does the great it used to be. okay? Yeah, it used to be some time ago, and it's just um, over the last. Deck? No, a couple of decades? Yeah, over the last couple of decades, uh, it's gradually crept up in price. Um, I would say that in comparison to the American system of, uh, of university debt, it is very, very small. Yeah, we um, have it much, yeah. much easier. It's not quite as, as crushing because there are constraints where we don't have to pay it back until we can pay it back. Mm. Um, and then even then, you're only paying a percentage of what you own over a certain threshold. But the I think the main thing is the fact that even before we were earning enough money to pay it back, it was the interest had already started increasing. Yeah. Uh, and different different generations in this country will experience different things. There are some some people who don't have any interest, they have zero interest, some people have quite a lot of interest. But, seeing the yeah. interest go up by more than we're being able to pay off. Yeah. And kind of seeing this as a kind of ongoing <laughs> relentless thing that we're never going to be able to pay off right. potentially. Maybe we will. Yeah. And also being, being someone who is who is very scared of debt, that's kind of a part of how I was raised, kind of just fear of not having money. Um, it's kind of a big thing in my head. Yeah, both of us yeah. come from not like poor, poor backgrounds, but uh, you know, having to kind of yeah. scrimp and save a bit. And, Times of scarcity. Yeah, and I think both of us do have a, a fear of... <laughs> Oh dear! Like, what if we run out? Like, yeah, we we might. And, yeah. and, but I mean, we're we're in a pretty comfortable situation at the moment. But, yeah, um, equally not rolling. Yeah, yet. we're surviving, but no we're not rolling. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So so yeah, student debt in Britain is much lower, but is still scary numbers. You know, I learned recently that there are places in the U.S. where, like, the University of California system used to be free. Which, really? Yeah. You know, within oh. like living memory, like in the in the seventies yeah. and eighties, and it's it's just extra infuriating that my my parents' generation, not my parents specifically, but my parents' generation, is mm. like, you know, I could get through college just, you know, flipping burgers and making two dollars an hour, and yeah, because tuition was maybe five hundred dollars a year, you know. Yeah. Oh God, there's so many like comparisons. I think, wasn't it that to to pay tuition on a uh, part time job, you'd need to make something like five grand an hour i can't remember what the exact amount is <laughs> yeah, but it's exotic. yeah it was versus 1960 versus 2020 yeah it was it was crazy the amount of this is how many hours you'd have to work to pay off a, a, a like a californian university then yeah and now it's so many thousands of times more because even with inflation taken into account it's so much more comparatively expensive yeah. i think the thing yeah. is with space junk is it it's still there but it's not being depressed about it it's kind of like they do power on and they do live life yeah and they do have fun it's surviving sure. despite despite all the debt yeah it's in the face of adversity mm. so i think that's why it's a kind of more hope punk situation rather than just being dreary and like oh god yeah i've all i've always it's it's always been about kind of not not go just being depressed in the face of adversity there it's always been about uh not being depressed in the face of adversity and just kind of seeing what you can actually do within your limitations and see what what ways around the limitations you've been you've had put in and uh, not letting the bastards get you down is the uh, the phrase i think sure <laughs> it's it's curious to me because there's such there's a lot of like darkness i see in we fix space junk right like mm. automaton brainwashes everyone on a prison planet because no one else wants to live next to a criminal and the guantanans steal the genes of a human sacrifice every 3 decades so that you know to make their appearances palatable to the wider public and if the popcorn yeah. men of entertainia 3 didn't have movies they'd riot violently in the streets how would you describe your general outlook on I don't want to say human behavior on, on 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 sentient sapient behavior I am eternally hopeful that it'll get better okay I think it's probably the good way of doing that I know that there's uh there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are bad there's a lot of things that are good and hopefully if you focus more on trying to 
improve the good things rather than just getting sad about the bad things, you'll be able to move onwards and upwards rather than just spiralling downwards, which is kind of uh, my teen modus operandi. <laughs> <laughs> Beth, you, you used to and still do make puppets, is that correct? Or you- uh, yeah, yeah, uh, on and off. On and off. <laughs> Uh, you co-wrote yeah. a musical called The People's Rock, which featured a puppet version yes. of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and Headley, you co-composed yep. the music, and Francesca Mintoff-Tisch, who plays Marilyn, was the lead in that play. My question yes. is, does all that time spent working with puppets and puppeteers play into the way that you write for the ear, or Headley, how you design for the ear? I'd say definitely the, the music I was writing for The People's Rock was the first time I'd written music um for to a brief for a very long time um and i did really really enjoy it and it was kind of because i've always played music um since i was like uh, 14 15 years old and um, but i have hundreds and hundreds of intro first verse chorus and never gone back to it again <laughs> like, yeah uh, that i never kind of finished and having a thing to work to um and knowing that these characters were going to be coming in and leaving space for, um, and yeah, making it fit the the tone of the show and flow as well, and the flow as well, yeah. So it wasn't just I'm going to make a rock song or I'm going to make a pop song. It was this is where they are. This is the mood. This is the vibe. And and I think yeah, get I took that straight into We Fix Space Junk. I think and and yeah, We Fix Space Junk has been an amazing thing for me creatively because. I suddenly had a reason to, a reason to write and a reason to get finished. Mm, yeah, th- both of us have a lot of unfinished projects, and I think uh, Space Junk is one of those things that's actually been consistently finished, rather than just being like, and let's just do something else. <laughs> sure, but yeah, Beth, to the puppets thing, like I'm trying to tug on this thread of this kind of half-formed idea, but like the way that you <sighs> manipulate character as a puppeteer does that change the way that you think about how you would i don't know like when you close your eyes and and think of the characters in we fix space junk do you see them as human women do you see them as like puppets that look like human women like is it live action animated Ooh, i do not have that big a visual image of um of space junk um, I think about the only thing that I've got a clear visual idea of is Marilyn. Okay, um, sure. And ev- even that's kind of vague because I've got I've got the image that I did of Marilyn as a baby, obviously. Um, but apart from that, I've not got kind of... Yeah, I don't um, imagine everything uh, visually in my head when I'm writing it. Um, I do kind of have a lot of... You get the kind of puppetry archetypes... Um, and the kind of larger-than-life characters from that, mm-hmm. which I think do play into the way that I've written it. Um, yeah, it's yeah. a bit kind of, yeah, larger-than-life. It's interesting, yeah, because also with a lot of this uh, puppet-based shows, the characters are still quite human. They are mm. still quite... Um, yeah, I've done... The ones that I did for Robin Ince and Brian Cox were Robin Ince and Brian Cox, so it's kind <laughs> of caricatures of them uh, rather than uh, separate characters altogether. And that's the thing, like, when you're doing them, Eric Idle, people like that, mm. you were doing it for them, knowing that the actual person was going to voice them. Mm. And and there is a lot of freedom in puppets that you can do stuff that you can't do on stage with humans. Um, and I think that you, that does cross over into audio. Because yeah. Because you do an audio that you can't do. Yeah, there's so much stage. you can do. And you can imply things and you can, I mean, you can also do things like hurt people. Um, physically uh, in a way with puppets and with audio than in a way you couldn't do it on stage for example or sort of yeah people powers and abilities mm. that you wouldn't be able to so you can work both ways yeah it's like uh, fairy rock mother um, from the people's rock was like could float in and, and give advice and uh, disappear and, and equally could be thrown across the stage or, yeah anything and which kind of gives you a lot of freedom and in audio you can do that as well like uh, Keanu and Samantha can jump out of an air vent and hurtle down a lift shaft and uh, you can have massive explosions and aerial fights that yeah. you couldn't do otherwise so I think there and all the sound effects that you're you're just a bit like oh I've got this to do now 
<laughs> Which I think it's usually okay. a challenge, but sometimes it's like, oh, you've you've put in a race, and I don't have that long to design this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some some yeah. amazing things like the that Halloween special. Yeah, um, it's just like this amazing line that is, "What kind of ship has a swinging axe room?" <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool. So I need to have <laughs> I need to have established that that's what's happening. Sure. Um, which is a bit uh, tell not show, but then you yeah. need to show it as well to back it up. So, and it actually had a lot of fun making it. Yeah. Um, that all of our specials, I think, um, do push push the envelope slightly in terms of how ambitious they are. Yeah. Beth, to go back to your idea about how you can like harm a puppet or cause a character in an audio drama to undergo like some kind of physical trauma in a way that wouldn't be possible or like a pro would be like way more horrifying on stage or film like you couldn't jolt couldn't be injured in the way that he was injured or undergo the like reparative surgery that he undergoes and still have it be played for kind of a laugh because it's kind of skirting that line like we we know he's going to survive um yeah i don't know but yeah and there's also there's kind of um i think there is in many ways, I mean, there's the stereotype of radio being the most visual medium, but people sure. can kind of put their own spin on it. So if you have someone who, like me, is not good at pain, the pain side of gore, it's kind of you sort of shut off that area and you don't have to look at someone who's been crushed by uh, falling machinery or kind of you you don't have to necessarily dedicate as much of your visual cortex to it yeah yeah and that's yeah. the thing you don't need to pitch it like i don't think i ever pictured um like blood and guts when jolts crushed i just kind of imagine like a, a head sticking out like in a cartoon like the simpsons homer simpson uh, an anvil could drop on him and he'd probably be fine the next episode yeah you might cut to him in a hospital in a full body cast but you're not thinking oh god all of his ribs are broken right. and stuff like that no he's yeah. just cartoon squashed Mm. He is, yeah, and I think that is a, a brilliant thing about um, audio drama. And I think Space Junk is, we've said before, is quite like a cartoon. Now, if, if there was a a television adaptation like in which some audio dramas have seen, I don't think it would be live action. I think it would be a, a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it lends itself more to the animation side of things than the uh, live action. <laughs> So now the two of you are engaged to be married. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, My wife and I also, like, we both work from home, but the two of us don't share creative projects. So I'm I'm curious how that manifests for you in your home lives. I think because it's, I mean, there's, there's, first of all, there's like a lot of very separate elements. Uh, Like the script writing, I tend to do mostly on my own. Um, as in I'll, I'll write it and then I'll kind of usually run it past Headley. He'll give me some notes and I'll rewrite it. Um, and you do most of the sound engineering on your own. Yeah, I, I do the dialogue edit like normally. Dialogue edit, yeah. But yeah, it, it, do, it does involve quite a lot of space, uh, as individuals and shot off in our own, I'll be in the studio, Beth will be uh, like her computer. Yeah. I've got an office in the living room. Nice. Uh, office. I've got a oh, chair. A corner. <laughs> I've got a corner full of stuff. <laughs> and I say studio. I've got a spare room full of yeah. way too much stuff. There's no bed, therefore it's not a spare room. Um, but yeah, so we we do have separate spaces. But I think also we just like we run the Discord together. We run the social media together. Um, at times, one of us will run it more than the other one. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. it's really it has been really lovely to have something to do together, like a, a real passion project and a, a hobby. Yeah. And and yeah, also we you know, sometimes I'll be working away for long hours, sometimes Beth will be working away and when we're both in the house and we can chat about it and, and really come up with the ideas and go for long walks and brainstorm the next series. Yeah. A lot a lot of um series issues have been overcome by walking the dogs in the woods. <laughs> And just being like, I'm panicking about this. I don't know how to fix it. And we just talk about it for half an hour. And then then at the end of it, it's usually fixed. Nice. Which is good. <laughs> and uh, you're going to probably do some writing as well. Gonna do a- yeah, I mean, I, I, I think when season one was very much, we kind of stayed in our own lanes. Yeah. I started directing and um, just kind of out of. Uh, kind of <laughs> out of needing to direct because I'm not a good director. <laughs> 
Um, and and yeah, then I think see, towards the end of series two, I started doing little bits of writing here and there, and just sometimes you'd have a you'd have the bullet point saying this happens, this happens, this happens, and you'd have like a mental block. So I'd just write a few paragraphs here yeah. and there, and just be like, I think the one I did the most on was probably the Dyson Sphere episode. Yeah, the Dyson. I got very stuck on the Dyson Sphere. So I kind of basically wrote a rough version of the episode which Beth then made much, much better <laughs> um, and added some bits and took some bits out. And, and yeah, I think we're, we, that's kind of become more of a thing. And then Beth started doing some uh, dialogue edits because she's much more familiar with the, with the script. So yeah. it made sense to start kind of um, getting the, the correct takes in, lining them all up. Yeah, and, and sometimes know, pulling in little bits of Foley as well, just because it's like just reminding you that a door slams here rather than saying this is the specific door that slams here it just kind of it kind of helps to trigger your ideas so so much better and I I would find that I was missing things like I could accidentally miss out a line of dialogue or miss out a sound cue because I wasn't as familiar with the script and it also just took you a lot longer yeah and it also like once you've listened to a whole episode to do dialogue editing you're maybe a little less fresh your ears are yeah. less fresh when you actually come to doing making it sound good and flow well. So I think that's why, as the show goes on, it does start to flow better and uh, be a bit more comfortable and coherent. Yeah. Stuff like that. So that has been a really awesome experience. And it's a really cool bonding experience as mm. well to, to make something together and see it go out into the world. Yeah. So it's like our baby. We send our baby out into the world and it gets Twitter likes. <laughs> so, Beth. Mm-hmm. You are writing and illustrating a children's book under a slightly different name as Katie Crane. Yes. Can you tell me about The Little Hat Thief? I could send you a copy. Um, <laughs> I would. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm very easy to bribe. I would love a copy of a, an adorable <laughs> children's picture book about a, like an owl thief. Yeah, basically. So there was a story in the news about five years ago. About five years ago, I guess, um, about a jogger who got mugged by an owl. Uh, they were just running along the road at kind of, I think, early in the morning, maybe 6 a.m. or something. And this owl swooped down and stole the hat. And that just sparked That's something. That's really cute. <laughs> it tickled. It tickled us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I kind of, over over quite a long time, I I wrote it and then I redeveloped it and redeveloped it. And redeveloped it because I am never, never super happy with anything except Space Junk, apparently. It was pen and ink and then it was watercolours. Yeah. And, then, uh, and now it's, it's like digital. cut out. It's digi- digital. Uh, but I've got some little physical copies that I was going to be sending to publishers, but I haven't had the time <laughs> because life is so busy. <laughs> um, but I have a plan. I'm going to try and send them out this year. Uh Yeah. They're little tiny A5 printed books that I did that are kind of just a fun little thing. Yeah. That's really cute. Um, and I think one of my friends was very keen on the idea of adapting it for a, a stage show with puppets at one point. But I think uh, she's currently working on Fatberg the Musical, so uh, is a bit busy huh. doing that. <laughs> now, Fatberg, for those not in the know, these are the collections of like fat and toilet wipes right and yeah. things that have accrued in the in the sewers Stuff of london that shouldn't right? be flushed but is yeah yeah goldfish is it like cooking fat is that the yeah fat people pour congeals? cooking fat down the drain they they'll dump like clothes sometimes yeah all sorts of things oh like God. socks and sanitary products and yeah it, it's very gruesome and uh it is exactly the kind of thing that uh, our friend thinks is very funny very, yeah uh, <laughs> very good and yeah, we. It's a very, very fun project. She's in the process of getting funded. Yeah, and I'm like, ten, I, I designed the logo for it ages ago, uh, and you've been doing a bit of music yeah, here and there. So, yeah, a little bit. So, um, yeah, watch out for Fatberg musical in a theatre near you. <laughs> <laughs> the Fatberg is also going to be. I can't. I can't yeah. wait. I think they go inside it, uh, and then they because they're miners oh, and they no. mine. I think, in actual fact, I think it's actually called Undermined, yeah. the Fatberg musical. And because they're down underground mining into the Fatberg and they're using the Fatberg as fuel. And there's very much up above other rich people and down below are the four miners. Uh, it, has a, it has a very kind of strong uh, 
Hades Town vibe. Yeah. Kind of urine. Sure. I have no leg to stand on in terms of. I was going to say like I'm grossed out by this, but I I, I can't be like I. <laughs> I worked on Our Fair City for five years, which features people like digging in literal piles of human waste. Yeah. To fuel a city, <laughs> so I can't I can't be like oh that's gross like oh, I I did it too. Yeah. To everybody. <laughs> It, it is kind of gross, uh, but the mo- as soon as you get over the initial, uh, it's like, oh, this is actually quite fun. It's a real shit show. Oh. hi you, <laughs> you can't swear on a podcast. I've already sworn You can swear on this yeah. podcast? Swear, swear with great aplomb. Yeah. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. I've already done it, it's fine. Beth is the only character who's allowed to swear on yeah. this <laughs> I'm not ha! allowed to swear, I just, I'm the only one who s- winds up swearing normally. Uh, and it doesn't happen very often. I sort of forget about it, and then I'm like, yeah, really "Oh, swearing!" Which ones are PG and which? Ones yeah, are. I think I think one mild swear is probably yeah just en- enough for a PG. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We probably should have already worked this out. We've <laughs> been going for a couple of years. Yeah, it's almost oh, three years. In yeah, March. three years in March, uh, which wow. is mad from release. Yeah, and it, yeah. we've been working on it for a good six months before that. Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you about your composition strategy for the music for the show uh, and specifically about the way that you play with expectation at the end of each episode like there are very few times once the series really gets going um that the episode like that the end titles resolve in the way that you expect them to they always like morph and distort into the like automaton message in the after episode stinger yeah um can you tell me about how you and Beth like talk through that process? Uh, and then can you tell me about the microbytes uh, <laughs> intro? Because I so, I'm obsessed yeah. with it. <laughs> so the the reason the Automnicon is there is because I really hate the whole like rate, review, and subscribe thing you get at the end of a lot of podcasts. Um, sure. So I was like, we mind other people doing it. It's more yeah, we felt we didn't want to. Uh, it felt it didn't go with the the show, and then I was like, uh, I think I wrote about six words, which were like rate, review, subscribe, subsume, uh, various, yeah, like uh, and was just like, do you do something creative? <laughs> Be spooky. And yeah, and it was just kind of like, so what is this supposed to sound like? So because originally there was no automaton in. Yeah, they they were the boss, but they were mentioned rather than being. And we ended up yeah. kind of using the mission briefs and stuff to kind of flesh out the episode. Yeah, and give them give us a more of an idea of what they look like. So we'd already played around with your voice to get it sounding because a lot some people don't know that the voice of Automicon is better. Um, including right. my mum <laughs> yeah, huh. we did a live show in London and Beth's family were like oh my god you did for Tom I'm like yeah and yeah so that all started off as just kind of glitching a bit and then I think I don't know I just kind of felt like is it right if I put a bit of music under this to kind of make it a bit more sinister and I was like hell yeah there's only kind of so many ways I can glitch it and try a few different effects on the voice and it kind of was getting more and more elaborate everything so yeah then I started Putting just a little bit of music under. Yeah, the piano, the piano uh, clip. Well, not clip. You composed that, but the refrain, I guess. The do 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 is one of my favourite bits of music. Uh, <laughs> I I like it very much. <laughs> yeah, I think it just it kind of just grew from uh, wanting to create this thing, and also it was world building as well, and that became much more evident in series two because in series two those autonomous outros end up having their own plot line essentially yeah and you don't realize right. as it's going but it kind of accumulates into being part of the canon story and it is almost its own storyline which is really fun and that, a lot of that was my first kind of creative input into the show um as a you know as an original concepts and some of the extra lines i kind of I would call beth back in and be like can we add a few extra bits here? Or like, can we change this so that it, I could play with it? And yeah, and Beth was very much just like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very nice. And I just got to um, play with that more and more. And I think we knew without putting spoilers, I think we knew where the end of series two was going. Mm. Well, I think I, I pitched that to you. Yeah. And we ended up using a very similar version of that and then kind of working up towards that. And other than the kind of, and then me putting my voice in there occasionally and 
recording, getting little bits of bits and pieces of speeches. We, we like a lot of bands who we went to a music festival called Up Tangent, and there's a lot of bands there who are kind of post rock, um, kind of ambient, uh, not not very much singing, lots of just music and um, samples. And I really like that kind of sample effect of being able to use a bit of speech and turn that into music. And I use that a lot. Um, and yeah, and I definitely started with the, the 80s, the dirty 80s synth in the, yeah. first, the first series, which is, um, and we've been seeing things, a lot of things like The Unseen Hour. So I think that was a mm. uh, the, the unrecorded the yeah. soundtrack for Unseen Hour. And they had this kind of really dirty 80s synth that kind of, when I say dirty, I mean, sounds kind of bad, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah. In the same way that like, the opening to Stranger Things has been done yeah. by hand, so it's kind of gritty looking, uh, which right. really put, like found, immerses you. It's quite similar to the Stranger Things mm. as well, yeah, yeah. like that first um, synth line, and then just kind of building on that and building on that to the point where it's like, I put drums in it, I put guitars in it, I can't really go, I didn't feel like I could really keep going with that style so yeah. without kind of it getting a bit tired. So then that's when I went back to the piano and it was very much kind of like a a ballet vibe and in fact one of the original things I did with that was that it was a drum beat I composed a drum beat and put that drum beat onto the piano so that's where the original drum 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 drum, drum, drum the way the left and the right hands kind of percussively go against mm. each other so that's actually cool. a, a drum beat um, and then I tweaked it around so that it it would be playing the notes I wanted it to play rather than uh, and it still clashes but um, in a slightly more controlled way. And it starts clashing a lot more towards the beginning and then becomes more melodic as it goes on. And yeah, I don't really know. I just kind of um, really just let me flex my uh, creative muscles and just see, see how outrageous I can make yeah. it, basically. And yeah, just being able to take the... Also kind of worried that people would just stop listening and not never hear it. So I think that's part of why the theme tune, yeah, as you say, kind of doesn't resolve or um, breaks down. Um, was largely just to kind of really pull people into it. And it's very strange that we do a show that is overall quite lighthearted and funny and every episode ends in a really sinister fashion. Well, life it's is so sinister. sinister. So it, it took a few years of show, but you finally revealed what Bruce is, which is to say <laughs> it's sort of a half-remembered Bruce Willis from Die Hard who's taken on a kind of mythic role now that solar flares destroyed most 20th and 21st century information on earth yeah and in a way that's sort of like what the deal is with the rock in the people's rock isn't it yeah, yeah that actually is very much the plot of that because that's set in the future the people's rock is set in the future and the kind of this half remembered idea of what the rock is and certainly to fran's character um t yeah and um, he is this kind of her hero and he's used as like a spokesman of the Kind of oppressive uh, regime, and yeah, I guess there is a lot of similarities there. And yeah, he's, he's basically a kind of talking alarm clock, like a motivational talking alarm clock <laughs> uh, in in the People's Rock. But he's also like the the only character on the front of cereal boxes, and yeah. uh, the only character on adverts, and and then I think one day he he disappears, and everyone's like, nope, there was never a rock. There was no this this was never a thing. <laughs> And that's what spawns, that starts the uh, the narrative of this girl T being like, I don't, like, why will, why does no one remember him? Um, and we kind of find out it's, it's a very kind of, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, yeah, this kind of dystopian world mm. where people can be disappeared. But yeah, Orwellian. Orwellian. There I we guess go. It's quite yeah. it. um, and yeah, I guess but Bruce, Bruce is uh, a similar thing. It's kind of, uh, although that hasn't, Automaton well, aren't massively pleased about Brucemas. Yeah, That's something that has lived on without their direct. They haven't designed that. And yeah, they do find a bit like ah, oh, the kind of people keep on teaming together for this one man who brings down the bad guys, um, and that is like a really nice thing for the people. And I think, yeah, uh, Automaton have definitely monetized it. Um, yeah. In the same way as I guess you, you say, like Christmas is very kind of corporate um, in in a lot of ways. I think Christmas has come quite corporate in a lot of ways. But um, 
Yeah, they're not massive fans of it, but they do they do go along with it. Um, it all <laughs> originally like, the very first. I, yeah. I don't know if that's what you're about to ask. Um, Bruce came from the joke in the first episode where all of the she doesn't actually come out said out loud until the second episode, um, and then yeah. everyone's a Bruce Willis character. Yeah, all of the all of the guards that are killed on Samantha's way out of the jail um, all have Bruce Willis character names. And it very almost didn't right. make it in. Yeah. We, I, had, we had a lot of debates over whether it was A, funny, or B, annoying. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, it was just kind of like, I basically said, this, as long as, if you stick with this and make it mean something, it can stay. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, it's going to be a religious character then. <laughs> and, well, not, not religious, but uh, inspirational slash swearing kind of character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think... Um, I'm, I'm super glad it stayed in. Yeah. Um, and then it meant something. Yeah, and kind of it's it's built up into something which is really fun. Um, yeah, the Bruceimus episode last year is wild. Uh, it could be summed up with like the phrase too many Groobers. Too many Groobers. Uh, <laughs> which is very silly. I think Felix Chench. So each again. of the Groobers is, is just a different Alan Rickman character. Yes. Right? It's not. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. there was Wizard Groober, right? And. I don't think I got all of them. Did you do a? Did you do an Anton Mesmer one? Oh, I did not. I or don't know. Okay, there's yeah. one that I've that forgotten. Be, that's who like it was. That's like sexy Gruber, right? Uh, <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because there was a few. Because again, it was written. This year's uh, mini was written as part of last year's special and didn't get used. Um, so, and we didn't want to like not use it. So we. I think it maybe was written in a written form for patrons last year, something like that. Um, but yeah, we wanted to kind of make use of that. And yeah, we did while we were recording be like, who was that meant to be again? Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, one of them that's like, like Harry Potter mm, and, yeah. uh, Die Hard, obviously, uh, Dogma. Uh, There's uh, the much hated character from uh, Love Actually. Yeah, Love Actually. Yeah. Is in there. Um, yeah, there's just lots of kind of... Uh, uh, the Robin and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and again, it's just these kind of this idea. It's just a very funny idea. And if you do look at history, and you do see like folk tales that have totally changed their meaning, and like s- sayings we use in day to day life that actually mean the opposite of how they're used, because people have just kind of forgotten them over the years. Yeah. So how could you forget that that saying means the opposite? I mean, even just words like peru- peruse, peruse means to very, very carefully study every single inch of something. Whereas we right. use it to mean like only kind of half-heartedly looking at things like as you like walk yeah. through a browse. shop or something. Yeah, like a, bra- a loose browse. Whereas it means the opposite. So I think it's quite funny that the Die Hard story, without any copies of the film, would just become so outlandish that it has every single Alan Rickman character in it. <laughs> um, because people have half, half, half remembered, oh yeah, so then... Then Snape is like, oh, welcome to the party, pal. Yeah. And also, like, sometimes it's more fun to remember fun, like, to add a fun thing to a story, to a legend as you're passing it down in, like, spoken form than it is to uh, just tell exactly the flat version that someone else told. So I have a question from one of our patrons, Katie, who asks, what would be worth it to go into debt with Automnicon for? Hmm. What would be worth it? A house. Yeah. That's the thing is like <laughs> a mortgage. <laughs> um, sure. The thing is we, we kind of all do get in debt to a yeah. Comic-Con in a way. Like, I think that's kind of part of it because it's like we got degrees and that got us in debt with the company we, we say later becomes Automicon. Yeah. And there also there used to be a company called Wonga Loans who were trying to get people to take out payday loans instead of student loans. Which is oh insane God. because payday loans are like 5,000 APR um, and it's almost impossible to pay them back. Wonga was, uh, literally did target people and yeah. exploit them and was partly owned by David Cameron's family. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, reading to oh. well. And they, they were... What a, what a yeah. splendid man. And we had a friend who was campaigning against them and they have now been shut down. Yeah. So, well, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Good for them. Stop being Christ, if, if I had known at the time that's what new labor meant, <laughs> you know? Oh, no, that was the conservative. Yeah, yeah. 
But, oh, um, he was conservative. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Blair. Blair was New Labour. Yeah, Blair yeah. New Labour, and he was the one who brought in student loans. Yeah, so. Way. Cameron was the one who, who called the referendum, right? Uh, yeah, called the f- a referendum and then swiftly left. Um, <laughs> what a fucker. Yeah. He, was, he, was, he, he did it so that people wouldn't uh, switch over to UKIP. Yeah, uh, UK Independence Party from Conservatives. He was like, "Oh well, I we don't want to split the vote, so uh, I'll give you a reference." I'll just split the company country in half. And then they accidentally caused one of the, <laughs> the biggest uh, upsets uh, yeah. in the in UK's history. And just ugh, made everyone social unrest. Yeah, for very long everyone time. miserable and sad. No one's happy. Yeah. Well, but, anyway, yeah. I don't anyway, want to end yeah. on that. I th- yeah. Um, so I saw on Twitter that you're making a We Fix Space Junk board game. Yes. Uh, with Ella. Please tell me everything about that. So, yes. Um, we started this, I guess, a year ago, maybe longer. Um, it's, uh, oh, how do I just explain it? It's a sort of com- uh, competitive game. Um, up to six players, you touch down on a planet and you all have to get into the middle of the game and then it's, uh, the middle of the planet to complete a big repair and then get out of the planet. Um, and the first one to complete the repair and get out wins. However, no, no, no. the no? first person to go into the building and out again gets the biggest amount of money off their debt. Gets the biggest amount of money off their debt. It's, it's a heavily debt-based oh. game. Um, okay. And the winner at the end is the one with the least amount of debt. Yeah, even if that in like QI terms is just massively minus. Um, but there's things like uh, there are mini missions which you get along the way, um, which will send you off into other places. Uh, well, they'll sit, they'll, their chances to earn more money, but also may hinder your chances of winning. Um, there are things like falling down a lift shaft and breaking all the bones in your body. Um, add yeah or there's falling down a lift shaft and nothing happens which yeah. doesn't add to your debt but it's just a bit confusing um but yeah so we've we've beta tested it quite a lot, lot of very very yeah. funny cards in it it's basically like a new series of weekly space Jump yeah in in card form and uh whenever we've played it with people they really enjoy reading out the mini missions uh, in the automaton voice yeah um and yeah there's all sorts of like chance cards uh, it's, it's quite simple gameplay. It's literally just like roll the die, move to the middle, roll the die, move out to the middle. Yeah, then... but there's like decisions to make. There's attack cards. Um, basically, we've got one more one more draft of the, the text to do uh, and the graphics. Yeah. And so, then we're uh... going to be probably running a Kickstarter, uh, which will be exciting and probably very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, basically, yeah, we're just doing the last, last beta stage, uh, getting the graphics going, and yeah. Keep an eye on the social media, and we'll be doing a Kickstarter for that. Yeah, uh, that's fabulous. Hopefully, sometime this year. Probably more like the end of this year than the beginning of this year, though. And then, then it's the Space Junk RPG, which is yeah, <laughs> which is also underway. Yep. Ooh, and, that's and exciting. The, yeah, and the second novel. Um, but yeah, the Space Junk RPG will be really fun. It's uh, based on a D6 system. Um, I. Before, uh, I, I've kind of got lots of plans. Uh, we've got some characters ready for a playthrough, um, probably in a couple of months, though, just so I can kind of get the world ready. Um, and yeah. We just, we, we do not have enough time. Yeah, to yeah, turns out, turns out that uh, when you set yourself a 200-hour work week, <laughs> things <laughs> slide. Um, yeah. That's the thing, we, just have, we have so much fun doing it that we yeah. can't help ourselves, but trying to expand out in every direction yeah well i am out of questions okay um yeah do you have any do you have any questions for me or the things you want to talk about that we didn't bring up oh i have i have two things out that i want to promote if that's okay please plug away so uh my episode of outliers was released uh on the 21st of january uh, which was really exciting. It's about um, Bess Raleigh, so Walter Raleigh's wife. Um, turns out she's a lot more interesting than he is. Uh, cool. He he was not super bright. Uh, well, he he was an intelligent man, but not uh, a practical one. Uh, and she was one of uh, one of Queen Elizabeth's handma- uh, handmaids at the time. 
and forbidden from marrying him, did it anyway. They went and had a kid in secret and a lot of other stuff ensued. Uh, they lived in the Tower uh, of London three times during their lives. Which is a prison. Yes. Yeah, they were imprisoned <laughs> in the Tower of London three times during their lives. Um, and yeah, she was just an incredibly resilient and interesting and funny woman. Um, so there's that. And there's also my episode of BBC Murmurs, um, which obviously you should probably check out the whole series. Uh, but I did the, the third episode of the BBC's new podcast, Murmurs, which is a found sound, uh, found sound show overseen by Ginny Matheson uh from uh within the wires wires. oh extremely cool yeah uh and that's that's just come out as well and it's it's all very overwhelmingly strange but very very good that the outliers and murmurs is uh also got tom crowley yes uh, with Novacoats, chris and jen sugden from victoriosity uh and ella watts of audio drama fame yeah just general audio drama fame. And, sure. Uh, and Dave, yeah. uh, David Devereaux of Middle Below. Yes, yeah. Uh, Katrina Allen of uh, Tin Cans, The Tower. And there's all sorts of people. In yeah. Movie. And it That's was very yeah. exciting. This episode has someone from Peaky Blinders in it. Yeah, which is really cool. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a, a very strange but very fun project to work on. Um, and Outliers was just a pleasure from beginning to end. The team at Royal Historic Palaces are so lovely. Um, Claudia Strange in particular, um, and Adam Sibbald, uh, who are the guys I worked with most. And that also features uh, David K. Barnes of Wooden Overcoats and Alex Lynch. Uh, yeah. Also writes episodes of Wooden Overcoats. Yeah. And it's by Rusty Quill, who do the Magnus Archives. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on Radio Drama Revival. Please come on back any old time. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to support Headley and Beth in all their many endeavors, head to their Patreon over at patreon.com slash battlebirdprod. We also have a Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. It's listeners like Kat and Paula who keep the lights on and keep us humming. We do some goofs in the Discord sometimes, including our Platinum section, where we only talk about premium things. Ooh, expensive cheese? Probably. You can follow us on Twitter, at Radiodrama, or visit our website at radiodramarevival.com, where you can buy a t-shirt with our incredible logo on it. Now, here it is, your moment of will. Okay, listener. Last week, I gave you the recommendation to play the game Outer Worlds because it's such a great tie-in to We Fix Space Junk. Up that same alley this week, I want to recommend that you watch Sorry to Bother You. This is a very surreal, very bizarre film. It is very rated R, so be wary when you watch. It is about a call center employee who is Black who puts on a white person voice to make calls. But it's also about indebted labor and capitalism and activism and how all of those intersect. And it is phenomenal. It is super strange, a little bit cartoony. um, And there is a twist at the end that is wild and delightful. So that is the film Sorry to Bother You. Right now, I believe it is on Hulu in the US, but you know, you could be listening to this whenever. So who knows? Go on an adventure and find this great film. And hey, listener, I am not sorry to bother you. You chose to listen to this episode. Okay, bye! And now for the traditional end of episode gong, followed by the sound of a rabbit pulling a magician out of a hat. The ringing of that gong and the sound of that magic trick tell me it's time for the credits. This podcast is recorded in Washington, D.C., which is the unceded territory of the Piscataway Indian Nation, the Piscataway Kanoi Tribe, the Pamunkey People, and the Nanticoke People. If you live in the Americas, Australia, or New Zealand, you can learn more about the native, First Nations, or indigenous heritage of your area by visiting whose.land. Our theme music is Danger Diggy Doo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. 
Our line producer and associate interviews producer is Will Williams. Our senior interviews producer is Eli McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researcher is Heather Cullen. Our social media manager is Ann Baird. Our submissions editors are Elena Fernandez-Collins and Rashika Rao. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouch. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. <laughs>